0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, May 31st. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. Mercedes brings us details on yesterday's announcement by the federal government to increase legislation around gun ownership in an effort to curb gun violence in Canada.
1: Next, we continue the discussion on the new legislation. We hear from the Coalition for Gun Control on what the announcement means to the organization and if it's considered enough to make an impact.
0: And finally, we hear the thoughts of Tracy Wilson, VP of Public Relations from the Canadian Coalition of Firearms Rights on why her group believes the move by the Liberal government won't stop the issue of gun violence in our nation and why she believes gun owners are being unfairly targeted.
1: The Canadian government is toughening Canada's gun laws and the investigation into sexual assault among Canadian armed forces is in the wrong hands. We'll talk about both of those things and more with insight into the latest news out of Ottawa. We're joined this morning by Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Hi Mercedes. Hi there. Thank you for being with us. Hey, let's start with gun laws and and can you break down a little bit for us the steps the feds announced yesterday to curb gun violence here in Canada?
2: Yeah, so I think probably the biggest one um was the announcement about what is oddly being called a handgun freeze. It looks an awful lot like a ban, but it's not that permanent, and it means you won't be able to buy, sell or transfer handguns into Canada. Now, this is interesting because it blows up a Liberal government promise from the fall election, which was under a lot of criticism, which we actually talked about with the Justice Minister uh, on the show on Sunday. And that was that they were going to allow cities to ban handguns. Well, um, Washington D.C. tried to do that, and they they didn't have very much success. In part uh, because you know they are actually a state; they they might have had a better chance than a Canadian city But can you imagine trying to ban guns in Toronto and think they're not going to come from Montreal, Sarnia, Windsor, Guelph? Uh, and so mayors were saying this makes no sense. It should be criminal code offense. They're not actually banning handguns, but they're at least having the federal government take control for decisions they're making on that. Uh, they also seem to be recognizing an interesting thing here at Change of Tune. There was a lot of discussion around the election um, about stolen handguns and, and long guns in Canada. And, and that certainly happens. Um, there have been break-ins to people's homes. There have been break-ins to places that sell these. The guns are taken. Uh, but we also know there's a substantial Problem with trafficking them across the border, and we saw that. Uh, you know, people think it's, it's big gangs and stuff, but it also happened in the port Rico shooting. That was um, where the shooter in that mass tragedy got his guns. He drove to the U.S., he bought them at a gun show uh, and from dealers with minimal supervision or checks, and then he simply hit them in his vehicle and lied to the border guards. Uh, Came right back across the border. Those were not his legal guns in Canada, and when the police had actually checked on him in the past, they looked him up in the gun registry to see if he had firearms, and he didn't. Now, obviously, there was a problem there in that there was also not a follow-through by the police afterwards with people calling with multiple concerns about him having firearms, but when they looked it up, there was nothing there. As we know, he was very heavily armed. Uh, so they're looking at giving more tools there, but it's not really clear how what they're promising is actually going to slow down the trafficking. But one of the things um, which we would sort of gotten a, a bit of a hint of from David Lametti on the show, the, the justice minister, is we'd asked him, what about longer, tougher sentences for gun crime? Because they have removed the mandatory minimums, which require people to go to jail for a minimum amount of time with certain types of offenses. They say that's because they disproportionately targeted black and indigenous offenders. So we said, okay, would you make it a longer sentence then? If there's no mandatory minimum, and you think that the judges are are giving convictions and and serious sentences in case people who deserve them, why not extend the amount of time that the judges could send them to jail for? And they said, yes, that is something we're looking at. And we also saw uh, an inkling of that yesterday as well. But there's no acceleration um, at this point in terms of buyback for long guns. And the other piece that seemed to be missing uh, with some of the folks I talked to is that some of the firearms that uh, were banned or will officially be banned, like you can't buy them anymore, but uh, they, they don't have to be returned to the federal government just yet or rendered inert, um, is that there are still long guns on the market that have identical capabilities. And so that's been questioned by both um, gun owners who say why some but not others and gun control advocates who say why some but not others if they could do the same thing. So it's not um, you know a, a perfectly rounded solution, but it seems like they're trying to fill... Some of the gaps, uh, and of course, you know, being from Alberta myself, I know lots of folks who own guns. There's people who are very upset about this and think it goes too far, it, and it's affecting legal gun owners. And there's also folks like uh, uh, the survivors of police violence in Montreal who say doesn't go far enough.
0: Just for some clarification, whenever an announcement like this comes out, I was seeing a lot of online uh, worry. And what about? And how about me? And that uh, was dealing with gun owners who own pistols or handguns who have them legally, who have the paperwork. Perhaps use them for for targeting in sport, uh, so to speak. If you have it uh, in your possession and it's legal, and you've got the documentation, at this point, it's grandfathered in. Is is that correct, Mercedes? You're not. They're not going to come and take your handgun.
2: I. I don't think we know what will happen in the future in terms of possible buyback program which again is not the government coming through your front door to to take the gun but all we know about from yesterday that they've not announced they're coming to force you um to return that gun to the government but what they're saying is that it's a freeze and that means you can't buy sell transfer uh or bring them into canada Of, of course that raises concerns for some folks who have them who say well does that mean that they're going to force me to sell it back to the government or take it away from me um I think the language around the term freeze was not helpful with creating confusion because that's not really a typical legal term we see with gun law in Canada, um, which by the way is kind of all over the place. I myself don't own any firearms. I don't wish to but I do have my restricted license so I have gone through the whole process to find out what it takes um, to become a restricted gun owner in Canada. It is nothing like the US. Um, There's still lots of folks who are concerned about certain types of guns being out there including some folks uh, who say, you know, handguns are are not something that is used in hunting, they're not something that's used on farms, they don't want them in Canada. Uh, I also know firsthand and from having done that process, you have to take a test. You would be on a course. Often that course is taught by police officers who might say something if they notice something off with someone. And then you have to go through some extensive uh, checking with the Mounties before you're allowed to go out and purchase a gun. So it's very different.
1: All right, let's switch gears a little bit because this is a story you broke. Boy, is it a year? Is it two years now uh, since you broke the, the story? A year and a half. A year yeah. and a half. And it, it, ongoing, it has been nonstop with new information continuously coming out. And now we have a new report looking into the sexual assaults in the Canadian Armed Forces. Tell us about how that broke down. Really interesting.
2: Yeah, so this is a 430-page report. We got it at 9.30 a.m. yesterday. And you've read it um, all? Which was super fun for my deadline on a newscast (laughs) that goes to air at 5.30 p.m., Um, And the government had actually had this report for 10 days and been sitting on it uh, because they were trying to digest it. There's so much information there. It's by former Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbor. She was also uh, a very senior position with the U.N. on human rights. She's a former international criminal court prosecutor. um, So she's got a lot of experience. And, And what stunned me is when I interviewed her after the report, she said she heard things here that shocked her. And I don't think it's easy to shock Louise Arbour, um, and that's not because she's trying to imply that there's something on par with, you know, the, the violation of Ukrainian human rights uh, or the places she's been. But these were not things she expected to hear from women in Canada's military and men in Canada's military about what is going on in their workplace, about the the way they are treated, about sexual misconduct uh, from senior ranks, about sexual assault, um, and she said that. in in cases that she saw there, um, people who are in the military were at greater risk from their comrades than from an enemy. That's a pretty shocking oh. statement. She also warned that for those who think this is just about you know, oh it's gender, oh it's choice, oh people are kind of being snowflakes. She said this is this is a real liability for Canada in terms of our operational success. You have to trust the person next to you and if you can't it can really jeopardize that. And she then went back and showed all of the other reports that had been done to say like there's been seven reports, it's not as though the military doesn't know what it needs to do, it's that it's not doing it. And then she laid that at the feet of politicians and said, you know, based on the fact there's been... Seven reports and nothing has changed. You know they're not going to change on their own. So this is really up to politicians to enforce this. But she did recommend some significant structural changes, including taking sexual assault and all sexual crimes out from under military justice system, uh, allowing sexual harassment and misconduct complaints to go to the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal, so civilianizing that process as well. And she even questioned the existence of military colleges like Royal Military College, where she said... They are teaching a culture of avoiding accountability and don't get caught instead of leadership that leads with accountability and ethics. So she actually like, basically questioned whether they should have their degree-granting institutions uh, as still degree-granting mm-hmm. institutions. And that is sacrosanct to the military. To question that will land like a bomb. But a lot of the people who we spoke to, men and women, said they believed Those institutions are huge problems in the culture because of exactly what she said and what people who have attended them in some cases have been
0: saying for years. Mercedes, I'm sure we'll be unpacking the details of this report for the next little while. It uh, sounds fairly thick and, uh, boy, uh, a lot to to dig into for sure. Thanks so much for your time, Mercedes. Thanks for having me. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. The tragic shooting in Texas has governments addressing gun regulations on both sides of the border. Yesterday, the federal government tabled new gun legislation to curb gun violence here in Canada. Joining us to comment is Wendy Sukir, president of the Coalition for Gun Control. Good morning to you, Wendy. Good morning. Well, from what you've seen, in your opinion, will the new legislation make a difference in curbing gun violence?
3: i think uh the new legislation is really a game changer in a few ways so it introduces some um, more certainty around uh keeping guns away from people who are potentially dangerous in the context of domestic violence and potentially also who are a threat to themselves or others uh, i think that um the uh, the buyback program, which was promised, has been accelerated to uh, remove um, semi-automatic military-style uh, weapons from circulation. And those can be differentiated from plain old hunting rifles. Um, but moving forward on that, I think, is something we've been working for. Uh, many years on and and the promise to ban the importation the transfer and the sale of handguns is a real game changer because um, you know we've gone from about 360,000 in uh, 2006 to over a million and you know we just have to look south of the border to see where that proliferation leads and while smuggled guns are also a problem and there are measures announced to address those Uh, when we look at um, mass shootings, when we look at uh, a portion of the the guns used in crime, a lot of them actually originated with uh, legal gun owners. So taken together, I think they're they're strong measures, and they don't affect people's ability to use rifles and shotguns um, for legitimate purposes like hunting and pest control and so on.
1: Wendy we live in Alberta and there are a lot of people who are unhappy with this announcement that came from the federal government yesterday so uh, your thoughts on you know obviously illegal firearms that people who want to get their hands on guns are going to do so is should there be more to try and prevent the flow of illegal firearms for example coming across the border from the United States do you think or is this just you know a good start. Absolutely. I mean, but but
3: the reality in Alberta is you have among the highest rates of uh, fatal domestic violence. You have very high rates of suicide. And in rural areas in Alberta, gun crime is quite high. Those, for the most part, are not being fueled by smuggled guns. That's the misuse of, of guns that were legally owned or were stolen from or illegally sold. So if you actually look at Alberta as opposed to, say, um, uh, Ontario, the problem of smuggled guns is not nearly as acute. It's misuse of, of guns within the province. And, you know, the terrible irony is there are more guns without question in Alberta, so there's more opposition to gun control. But if you look across the country and compare rates of gun death and injury, Alberta's one of the highest provinces. So um at, Absolutely, we have to do more about the borders and investing in um, intelligence-led policing led to a doubling of the um, of the guns confiscated that were coming into Canada in the last year, which is pretty significant. But they can do more there as well.
0: Well, we got to play devil's advocate here, uh, Wendy, because I did see online yesterday lots of reactions saying, "Well, it's fine." The tools used in these crimes, the guns, be it a handgun or a long gun, people were saying it doesn't matter until we get the laws and the sentencing for these crimes to be more stringent. Your thoughts on that?
3: Well, the the, the, the issue with obviously the justice system has to respond appropriately, but that's after the fact. And, you know, I was in a room with um, probably 40 victims of, of gun violence, and their preoccupation is preventing um, the crimes before they occur. It's, you know, it's it's not one thing. Gun violence is complicated, and you need to address all of the different factors. But look at some of the, you know, some of the worst uh, mass shootings in Alberta, near for example. It was illegally on gun that was given to someone who shouldn't have had access to guns. You've had very large... Um, uh, Groups of people killed at one time um, with guns that were uh, stolen or or sold illegally. If you look at the guns recovered in crime in Calgary and Edmonton, a lot of them are guns that were originally uh, legally owned, and so on. So, as I said, it's not one thing or the other. It's got to be an integrated approach, and most Canadians. You know, there are lots of hunters, I grew up with them, (laughs) who actually support a ban on handguns, who actually don't think that people should have um, military-style assault weapons like the AR-15. And there are lots of women, especially, who would put the priority on public safety over people's hobbies.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that's the, the important part of this bill, I think, is the removal of gun licenses from people committing domestic violence or who are engaged in criminal harassment, like stalking. I think that's the key part that really uh, maybe is kind of getting swept under the rug here.
3: Well, it, but remember that one of the things the law does is, is remove some of the discretion around taking guns away from people who are subject to protection orders. And that was in part a response to... Uh, a judge in alberta who was uh, horrified at the the lack of implementation of the law so there there's there are pieces of this that address the different aspects of of the problem and when we're looking at um, violence against women all of the major women's groups were in the room supporting the introduction of this law because they recognized the importance of uh of uh, uh, managing access to guns in the context of domestic violence. And again, that's, a pla- that's an issue which in Alberta is particularly um, challenging because you have such high rates of gun ownership, and that increases the likelihood that women will be killed uh, in cases of domestic violence.
0: Wendy, thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. That is Wendy Kier, president of the Coalition for Gun Control. And, and we're efforting to, to expand this conversation, Sue. It's mm-hmm. not a case of let's be one-sided and say gun's bad. Uh, there's a, there, I understand where we live. I understand the passion. I understand the, the sportsmanship. And I understand, uh, you know, the history. You, you know, perhaps you're a very responsible – we don't we, – uh, you can always text in. We get that. But when legislation like this is announced and rolled out and we look at these changes – You know the people who are sometimes the most outspoken are those groups that have been fighting for these changes. So we we are you know going to see both sides, and we're going to continue. This this isn't a one time or a couple of guests here and there. Uh, We're efforting to get the other side as well.
1: And you cannot argue about the stats relating to domestic violence and women being killed by guns in. That kind of a situation. Yeah. I mean, you know, a texture says, get this garbage off the air. You know what? If you've got a perspective that's different, it's welcome. But just to say that, it doesn't invalidate somebody yes, else's not opinion, your opinion because you don't agree with it. There are a lot of people, a lot of Canadians, maybe not as many Albertans, but a whole lot of Canadians that think some sort of gun control is very important. As the Prime Minister said yesterday, other than using firearms for sport shooting and hunting... Why do you need a gun in your everyday life? Hmm. Unless you live in a rural area, that sort of thing. That makes sense in some cases for sure. But I think, you know, you have to listen to all perspectives and and different voices. Just because you're set in one way. doesn't mean you can't hear other sides.
0: That's the the point. That's the the whole basis of a conversation. Mm -hmm. Will a freeze on handgun sales help address gun violence in Canada? Joining us to discuss is Tracy Wilson, Vice President, Public Relations with the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. Good morning to you, Tracy. Good morning. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for being here. So what is your reaction to the freeze on handgun sales announced?
4: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed. Aside from being a gun owner, I'm a mother and a grandmother. I want to see for Canada, and I would have liked to see the government focus on the source of crime guns that lead to the violence we see all across the country. And of course, that is illicitly smuggled guns. And they are, not, uh, they are not affected by this whatsoever.
1: Now, the bill also includes stiffer sentences for illegally owning a gun, giving more resources to law enforcement to intercept smuggled guns, and also, you know, can, can stop people from having guns that might have a prior or current restraining order, um, and those who pose a danger to themselves or others. So do, you, you must agree, or do you not, perhaps, that that makes sense?
4: I think a lot of those measures uh, make some sense, sure. But, I mean, if you look at now, the maximum penalty... For gun smuggling is ten years. They're increasing it to fourteen. Now go take a look and see how many judges have ever actually imposed that ten-year sentence, and you—you you probably won't find any. So at the same time, they've done this. They've introduced C five, which removes the mandatory minimums. So the judge has it at their full discretion to give them the as light a sentence as they wish. And unfortunately, law enforcement reports that that's exactly what happens, and criminals are turned back out onto the street. Um, as far as the red flag measures, those already all exist in Canada. Right now, if you were to call uh, the RCMP, 911, the Canadian Firearms Program, and report a safety concern about a gun owner, they would immediately have their guns seized As of stands right now. That all exists. Um, I think there may be opportunity there for it to be abused, but I, I don't oppose measures that keep guns out of the hands of people who are violent, abusive, criminals. Those measures I I, I don't oppose. But unfortunately, the majority of this targets um, Canada's most law-abiding sector, which is gun owners.
0: You don't think that this could be a case with with groups like yours, Tracy, that you can move ahead once we, you know, kind of... Lay something like this down, and I, cause I think there's a lot of trepidation, people saying, well, I own a handgun, this is going to affect me. How does it affect a current handgun owner? And can we not look at changing things, but this is more of a stopgap measure until we can get those laws in place? Because that is the thing, in my mind, it takes a lot of time.
4: Well, as it stands now with twenty one, should it pass, um, handgun owners like me would not be able to buy, sell, or trade anymore. So whatever you've got is what you've got. It is permissive. So you're allowed to continue to use them, enjoy them. Um, and, of course, this bill hasn't received royal assent. It's just barely been tabled. So uh, right now, I know there's gun shops in Toronto yesterday that, had, uh, that stayed open until midnight, processing transfers. And, of course, there's lineups this morning. So, you know, I, again, I, I, I'm not entirely sure what the point of targeting the people who aren't committing the violent crime is when we've got the very same government reducing the mandatory minimum penalties for very serious violent gun crimes.
1: Well, I think we can all agree that you know penalties need to be stiffened for sure. And, and again, as Andy pointed out, isn't the, you know as we move towards having some better yeah. rules and restrictions in place to help us get there, isn't that a good thing? But do you think that this is more you know people and maybe yourself too? Like, is it more about don't tell me what I can do and what I can own, or is it all about you know why do we need to have guns and these that many guns and these types of guns circulating?
4: Well, apparently the amount of guns that we have in Canada, the Liberal government finds it completely reasonable because they're allowing us to keep them. And not only that, they're allowing us to shop in the meantime until this legislation is passed. I think what it is that really bugs gun owners is, for myself, I've been a gun owner for seven years, you know, I'm half a century old. And I've obeyed every law, every regulation, regardless how ridiculous they are, jumped through every hoop. I go above and beyond all the measures to make sure that my gun's are safe and secure, I follow every law. And at the end of the day, I'm still the target of their legislation. While I, you only have to turn on the news or look on Twitter and see news sources talking about shootings all across the country. I mean, Toronto in particular. And I think, why, why are we not focusing on those people and, and their guns? So I, I think it's just that frustration that gun owners have tried hard to comply and follow these rules. And and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because you're
0: still targeted. Tracy, thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate it.
4: Thanks so much. Have a great day.
0: You too. Tracy Wilson, Vice President, Public Relations with the Canadian Coalition for Firearms. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast.
1: Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play or wherever you find your
0: podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 5.30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.